0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hear Me See Me podcast is sponsored by Zenoti, the number one cloud software for salons and spas. Because when people feel good, they find their greatness. I am Stuart Roberts. And I'm really excited to introduce my new podcast, Hear Me, See Me. Just over five years ago, I did something that changed my life. What it did, more than I could have ever realised, it helped me. I have met some absolutely amazing people. Some of the people that work in some of these places. Many of them are volunteers. But some of them, it is their job. I'd had this idea after being inspired by a guy in America. I'd seen cutting hair on the streets and seeing the difference it made to the guys who were there. This is more than a job. This is a calling. Hello, this is Stuart from Hear Me, See Me podcast. And today I've got a very special, special lady. Um, It's Taban Sharash from the Lotus Flower Charity. Hello, how are you Taban?
1: hi i'm good thank you thank you for having me on
0: no it's my pleasure i've heard a lot about you we've never met we've never spoke you know but i have heard a lot about you because you've got some mutual friends and um uh if you could tell me about yourself and about um the lotus flower
1: okay so it's it's a bit of a journey um and it kind of starts with my history, I guess. So I'm a genocide survivor from Saddam Hussein's era. Um, oh. I was a child political prisoner at the age of four and I escaped being buried alive with my family. You escaped, um, oh, sorry. Being buried alive.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, so I
1: I do get that reaction quite a bit. (laughs) Um, It's a very, very long story, which hopefully one day I'll get down on paper. But we were rescued uh, miraculously and we managed to escape and um, went through fleeing. So we spent many months fleeing the war and spent it in hiding as well. And then eventually we were smuggled into Iran for um, safety And as soon as we reached Iran, my father was meant to meet us there, but he was poisoned by Saddam Hussein. He'd hired a husband and wife to poison a group of men and he was one of them. So when we were reunited, um, basically my dad was poisoned and Amnesty International had to fly him to the UK to get medical treatment. So we waited a year and that's how I ended up in the UK at the age of six as a refugee. And... Um, I'd say we lived a pretty normal life here. Uh, I went to school, went to uni, ended up working in the city. And then in August, 2014, ISIS had gone into, um, northern Iraq, Kurdistan region, and basically just caused absolute havoc there. Um, The conflict had uh, not only killed many people, but it also displaced uh, like hundreds of thousands of people. So I decided to leave my city job there and go back and work for an organization there. And my first day, we were distributing aid um, and rescuing people trapped on a mountain, and I mean thousands of people. So... That experience was, you know, it stayed with me forever. And for the next fifteen months, um, we spent it building camps, building schools, doing lots of aid distributions. So it's very, very frontline. And I got to work quite closely with the Yazidi women who'd been impacted, Um, and they were the ones who were taken by ISIS, um, raped, sold on as sex slaves. And so when they were rescued, they were coming back to the camps and because journalists wanted to interview them, I would um, support in finding um, suitable women and just make sure that the stories were covered ethically and the women were protected. So through that kind of work, I got to work quite closely with the women. And when I came back to the UK in November 2015, it was a, you know, I, I came back in a bit of a shock in terms of what I'd experienced. So it took me some time to... Compose myself again and just kind of come over what had happened but I knew one thing and that was I needed to do something to help even if it was from here so I decided to set up Lotus Flower in March 2016 and I set it up in my living room same living room um, and set it up with no money whatsoever but we had A project that we wanted to implement because we'd already asked the women on the ground so we did an assessment and asked what kind of projects they wanted so we managed to fundraise £25,000 for that project and from there so since March 2016 to now it's just grown and grown and grown and that kind of shows the need for the support um, especially for women and girls inside camps and You know, so now we have three centers in um, three refugee camps in the region, but we operate in more uh, camps as well. Um, We've managed to help 26,000 women and girls to date. We've implemented over 30 projects and it's just been growing and growing. Like it's 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 phenomenal to see it grow in that way, but also to see the, the lives that we're we're changing um, so that's that's the sh- short version <laughs> of the story. <laughs>
0: I'm 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 lost for words. You know, I like, it, it's so heartbreaking. You know that what you're saying, and it's the story. See, these stories are so crucial to get people to understand the plight of refugees and to understand what it's like in camps and things that that the, the need is there. Um, and, you know, women being raped, being put in, into sex slavery and, and, and all of those things, it, it, it's just horrific. Um, as, a, as a father, I've got four girls, I've got two granddaughters. You know, I, I can't begin to understand what it must be like for a parent to have that happen to those children, or for a child for that happen to their mother and, and these things. And I, I, I think that what you're doing is amazing. I think what, what, what it is, um, it, it, I can't, it's just, it's <laughs> floored me a little bit. I knew what we were going to talk about, but it's floored me. Um, so we we both got to know each other through, um, uh, I've got a family member, Greg, and his, his partner, Kathy, like what you know it's amazing what they told me but tell me about how you you come to meet those and and what happened with that
1: it's it's I mean that is such a phenomenal story so in terms of how that came about um so going back to the Yazidi women that were taken raped and sold on as sex slaves um because I'd been working in the region and in 2016 i went to visit a group of um it's like an army force peshmerga so an, a specific army force that was created for these women now kurdish women in our history we've always had peshmerga so we've always had um fighters and army you know like soldiers um, so It's nothing new to us, but it was very interesting for me because I wanted to know why they'd set up this specific one for Yazidi women. And when I went to visit them, um, they were training like you would in any um, military force. And I was speaking to one of the commanders and they said, actually, this not only do they have the freedom to go and fight, we train them as well. But actually, this is more of a mechanism to let their anger out because they have so many emotions that are stuck inside of them because of what they've experienced. This is an avenue for them to release that. Now that stuck with me forever. And I thought, well, I'm working with the same women. I, you know, I'm a charity. I can't do anything with, you know, military or armed forces, but what can we use that will A, support them in helping them channel their emotions but also build their confidence to start rebuilding that self and that identity um also something that's good for their health and um mental health so boxing came up and I thought oh this is a great idea but boxing doesn't exist in the region really for women. So I thought, oh, okay, right. We might be up for, (laughs) how's this going to work? Now, because we're so close to the culture and we're so close to the community, we almost work at their speed instead of us going, right, this is what you need to do and that's it. We, We work with them and we know when's the right timing for something. So it actually took, so 2016, but when did we implement um, we went out last year? So it took a good two to three years for us to actually implement it because that's the time frame that was needed for us to go, okay, now is the right time to do it. Yeah. And we were introduced to Kathy, and she found out about the project, and she absolutely loved it. And the idea was was to use Kathy, Greg and Boxology to be the trainers that train our women to become boxing instructors for the rest of the women. Yeah. And so it just, it just all made sense. All the elements came in, you know, Kathy and Greg are very, very um, supportive of mental health. And, you know, they bring that into the boxing as well. So it just, it was, it's like a marriage made in heaven. So I thought this is perfect and proposed that they would support the project and come out and do um, train the women And so they came out and they went out last year and I think I'm pretty sure it was like nothing that they'd experienced before on so many levels. Um, I think firstly, you know, what we see of Iraq or Northern Iraq is just conflict, 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 conflict. And, you know, there's always been conflict there, but actually the Northern part is quite safe. Um, it's it's not super safe but it's it's very very safe like the security forces there are very good and so I I had no worries for them to go out there um but always said you know this is completely up to you you know I can't guarantee anyone's safety for anything um but when they went out there they realized that it's nothing like what they see on the news and it's nothing like what is projected in the world like it's it's and we've had that feedback from everyone the first the moment you step in Kurdistan you realize it's actually nothing like what you see on the news yeah. um so that was the first experience of the region and then when they went out to visit the women and girls I think that just blew them away because it made them closer to to the actual stories and some of the stories are so horrific like you said you've got daughters and I you know we have women who had their daughters at the age of seven taken and raped by six different men and sold on in the moment of three years. So they were working with these kind of women. And for them, it was very, very difficult. And for the first time to actually be face to face with that and put a real person to it. um, I think it was very emotional for them. Um, For me it's always emotional for me, but I've almost experienced a lot in my past. I've, I've strangely, strangely, this is the norm. Like I've experienced yeah. it as a child. I've, I was born into conflict. I've seen conflict. I've fled from conflict. So you're kind of prepared for those things. So it's not a massive shock in that way. Um, but I think for Kathy and Greg, it's the first time that they'd encountered something like that. So it became very, very, very real. And they automatically connected with all the women and they carried out their training sessions. The women absolutely loved it. And we still continue today. I mean, COVID's got in the way a little bit, but it still carries on and they love it. It's, it's, and you can see the change in the women, the the confidence, the mental health, the rebuilding, the channeling of energy. It's just, it's phenomenal to watch.
0: It was a great idea as well to, to not, go out and and teach a few people how to box was to go out and teach a few people how to train the boxing to then pass on it's that sort of give a man a fish you know or, or give him teach him as a fish you'll eat for the rest of his life it, it's that yeah that's something that, that can continue and grow and, and with it i mean i've got a background of martial arts and i've i've, I've got you know like follow a lot of martial arts and the thing it always about is is the discipline the camaraderie the self the self-belief um uh the self-esteem it 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 raises all of those things you know so it's the the Mm -hmm. perfect you found the perfect thing and you found the perfect perfect people because kathy and greg as you say they're not it's not they're not pure boxing it's boxology is is all about the other side, the soft and the hard and the, the you know, the physical and the mental. Um, and so they are, they were really what you couldn't have found better. You know, yeah. I've had Kathy on my podcast so her stories marries so perfectly. Yeah. What Completely.
1: And she shared and, and that created a connection with the women. You know, she shared her story and they yeah. really, really, really connected. And like you said, and the Lotus flower, we are all about that. We're all about teaching the skills and giving the tools rather than just giving something and then taking it away um so in all our projects we try and make sure that we leave that kind of um, stamp on it and I knew that you know we couldn't find women boxing instructors to to teach the women so we knew that we had to train women to teach them
0: (laughs) yeah 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 because is it that thing of um I know when I'm uh when I'm doing haircuts for homeless sometimes that yeah, sometimes in some religions and cultures that they can only work with a woman. Is it, is is that the case? Is it? They um, of, so or?
1: I'd say it, it's a, it's still a pretty conservative society. I mean, it, it It's moved on a lot, like from my generation, it's moved on so, so much. So many things have changed. You know, when I was a teenager and I'd go and visit back, you didn't see women driving. You didn't see like really, really simple things. But now, you know, you've got women working, you've got women driving and you do have women in sports and all sorts of things but you do still have pockets of the community that are still very conservative and the ones that we work with are conservative they're from like rural areas and so um and that's why our centers work because it is women and girls centers and therefore the families trust the centers and they fully trust the centers and so having a women instructor there just builds that trust even more there's no point in me trying to go and change a complete culture overnight it's not going to happen you kind of introduce things slowly and you know they become accepting of it and so and that's why it was a massive massive success is because we took that into account um to start with we didn't have a a a woman boxing instructor or martial arts expert um so we had to because we wanted to get them in the uh mood of training before kathy and greg arrived so we hired someone who was um i think it was kickboxing but it was a guy but that guy knew that community so he was accepted by them because they knew him so there are small things that we take into consideration which actually have a massive impact and so the way that we worked around it i think has been perfect
0: yeah i mean we've we've had to take it account with what we do sometimes that Uh, generally, like a um, homeless, a homeless centre is pretty much uh, open, uh, it is as it is. But we sometimes go to women's refuges, and then there's sometimes people of the Muslim faith, and we set up screen. So if yeah. I'm there, yeah, they put the screen up because it's uh, it's it's really not good for you know I I shouldn't be seeing that lady. Yeah. I shouldn't be seeing her. So we. You, you, but I think they're so that they're so glad that we're respectful of that yeah but because every even the people that aren't involved now they like the fact that we've respected that and you know yeah. it's all about building trust isn't it that's,
1: that's completely the, it that's completely yeah. it. and actually the way that Kathy and Greg just kind of hugged the culture was phenomenal because yeah. you know if especially Kurdish people we absolutely love anyone that embraces our culture. So we kind of welcome them and they, they loved everything about it. And, and so I think they got that back in return as well. Um, But definitely it's all about building trust and kind of respecting it. You know, I'm not going to change. I don't expect anyone to be like me. I'm not going to change anyone overnight. So (laughs) all I can do is respect that, the way that they're doing things and, and try and work around that. And that's what we try and do.
0: So uh, you, it obviously came to an abrupt halt, didn't it, this year? Um, everything everything has. How has it affected your charity then from from when it yeah. stopped in March?
1: So COVID has blown everything out of the water, but actually with us, um, we've managed to cope around it in that So we were forced, so when COVID first happened, uh, our staff went out in the camps and they did hygiene distribution kits and then um, hygiene awareness, especially with the kids on how to wash your hands and stay clean. And then our sewing sisters made masks for those in the Um, camps so we kind of adapted quite quickly and then it was full lockdown so nobody could come out of the camps nobody could come into the camps nobody could leave their homes you know the region had military out so you couldn't go out Um, and from that we had to think of how we could still access the community and we're very lucky because we hire community outreach workers in the camps So I think we're one of the few organizations that do that because we know that if we hire from within the camp, not only do you have people that's connected to the camp, but in this situation, it highlighted that we could continue some of our projects. And what we did was we took things remotely. So we did our awareness sessions remotely. We did our psychologist was available remotely. And so and then after, when lockdown was eased off a little bit, we did a COVID assessment to see what the impact was and what the needs were. And um, mental health was massively impacted across all the camps. Um, so it's good that we had our psychologists there. Um, the other, what else? Human trafficking, early marriage, gender-based violence, all these things just increased. And suicide rates, all it just increased. So thankfully for us being there, carrying out those um, the remote work was so desperately needed. And so we continued. But then another impact was that the funding pool had dropped for us. So And many charities faced this. We had donors drop left, right and centre. And we were just left with this massive gap of funding pool. And we didn't know how to fill it because you know, everyone's applying for the same thing. You've got local international donors that have left because they can't be there. And so we're still having to support and provide the services, but we don't have the funding coming in. So it really, really impacted our funding. And so we launched an appeal and we were on the brink of closing, but thankfully we've kind of saved ourselves, but we still need to kind of fundraise to continue and make sure that never happens again. Um, So COVID has happened. Its impact on different levels, I'd say.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, an important thing because we understand from our own charity that we've uh, we've been going six years next month, and uh, we've only really this last year or two got to the point where you know we become a registered charity and and we're growing. we grow it. We work growing yeah. But the the thing is 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 up until this point, it's that trying it's it's getting funding in to keep moving, but ideally you need to get larger funding so you can plan for the future because if you can get some sort of substantial funding in place you can then start to do a three-year plan or a five-year plan but when it's a little bit like month to month year to year you you know and some some parts of funds that come in that people don't realize you have to use in a certain time and so it's very difficult to have a long-term plan when you're reliant upon uh, funds so I don't you find it
1: mm-hmm. completely and also there's another element to it like a, you know some donors just want to fund projects the projects don't run on their own <laughs> they, yeah. they run with the organization without the organization the project does not run no. and so that's another thing but also as as you and I we're local we're implementers we're direct implementers we are the ones that do the work on the ground
0: yeah
1: and so what happens is we've realized that you have, you know, governments that say, hey, we're going we're gonna to put a million aside for education. And so they put a million aside. Then they choose a big, big international charity to give that million to. And so the million yeah. goes there. And then that million for that big charity, actually half of it's just spent on, I'd say, waste. Yeah, um, yeah. And then what happens is local or direct implementers have to compete for about 50,000. And you're yep. going, but well, hold on, that was a million. How's that got to 50,000? And we're now all fighting to try and get this 50,000. 50, so yeah. the, funding, the funding mechanisms are, need to be updated and realized. And I hope people do start supporting direct implementers because we're the ones doing the work um we've almost got a middleman there that we don't really need and so it's it's a bit of a challenge it's a massive challenge and I know that we're not the only ones facing that so I really do hope you know all smaller charities get through COVID because from what I've seen they are the hands-on direct implementers and without them not much would happen
0: no, of course. And one of your, so I, I, obviously when they came back, I spoke to Kathy and Greg about, um, the project that they did. Um, and I, I, I sort of straight away, I, I said, Oh, look, I'll come out there with you next time you go, I've got to come. And, you know, and then they said, well, we landed here and then we had to get jeeps there. And then we had to get an armed escort there. <laughs> and I started to backtrack a little bit. I was like, Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> but <laughs> in all seriousness, um, I think it'd be, it'd be great to come when they do finally get to come back. It would be great to do something, you know, maybe I could bring, because we do, we've got another arm that we're building, that we're doing education for homeless people. So teaching people to cut hair. And it's something that can, is universal that, that, you know, obviously not a full-blown level three education, but even if we can get a basic, a basic level of education to, for hairdressing.
1: I mean, we do have, so we've got a project called Hairdressing Sisters that we've been trying to launch. And basically my hairdresser (laughs) is trying to come out to do that kind of teaching. So it's something that we could partner up on. And honestly, if you come out and it's, I think it's a phenomenal thing to kind of be part of teaching someone a skill that you know that you've left that they'll be able to earn an income in so that i think is phenomenal and it is something that we have thought about we've always so planned covid got in the way um but no, absolutely would love for you to join us and just come out there and we could, yeah. we could definitely do something around that and they love it they really yeah. do they want to learn these skills
0: well, um, the great thing is i've got i've built up great contacts with the industry over the last you know few years. Um, so that I, if I did come, I could bring, um, equipment as well. So I could oh, bring,
1: brilliant.
0: yeah, I could bring scissors and, and lots and lots of stuff. Uh, Amazing. So that we could, we could uh, leave the tools of the trade, you know, leave that, them, leave that behind. That would uh, be
1: phenomenal. That would be absolutely phenomenal. Let's talk about that. I'm excited. I just want COVID to go.
0: <laughs> I know it's it's got in the way. Um, we was on such a we was on such a crest, you know. We was flying, you know, and it just yeah. took the sails. It took the feet from under us because we yeah. was having we had like a documentary being made and we was having a big launch. It was, I was getting a bit full of myself actually, so maybe the power above. Said to me like you, you're getting a bit full of yourself, mate. You need to come. I don't think the whole of pandemic was just to bring to take, take away my ego, but it, <laughs> it, it, was, it was just you know. when you think you pinch me? It's all going a bit too well at the moment. And then, I mean, for us, as you you could manage to carry on for a bit. We we just literally danced halls overnight. So we we had five years solid work of building to from me on my own to 67 projects across the UK to 600 volunteers, we'd given out 40,000 haircuts. And then all of a sudden it just stopped overnight, you know, and I naively said, Oh, well, we'll just get going again when it's passes. But the reality now is that we're having to open everyone again from almost from scratch. You know, I've got to go individually and get them going again. And as we open one, it, it one pops up and another one closes because we just, I wow. think, I've just had a, a message just before I come online with you from my poor lady in the north who's, she's opened 10 projects around Manchester and they're just, as fast as they're open, they're closing again, you know? it. Oh. Um, but well, The important thing is to... is that we move forward, you know, because yeah. we're going to keep getting this. The next year, we're going to get knocked back and knocked back and knocked back but if we've got a rejoice in every victory haven't
1: we you know completely and it's also figuring out how are there ways to work around it like it there I, i know in your industry it's been massively massively hit like you know massively hit and so i do hope the government figures out a way to support i I feel i feel like the support has been lacking you know there's been a lot of you can't do this and you can't do that but the actual support has been lacking um and if this something like this is going to happen again then we need to know how we can operate around it um i guess for our services we can do most things remotely but again we can't do most things remotely as well you know a lot of our centers are reliant on the women coming to the centres. Yeah. Um, we've got a lot of businesses that we've supported and set up in the camps. They've all had to close overnight, and so they've been impacted. Yeah. So it's, it really is, we have to kind of figure out a way of planning ahead of, okay, well, if this happens again, what do we do? Mm. Um, and then sometimes, as hard as it is, we just have to surrender and go, actually, there's nothing much I can do, um, yeah. which is what I had to do. At the start, I had to just go, if we are going to close, then there's nothing I can do. There's literally nothing else I can do in my power. But then miracles happen. So have faith, keep the faith and keep moving forward. It's one step in front of the other and magic happens with
0: that. Yeah. I mean, do you find, I mean, you, 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 you gave me a very short story of, of your upbringing and that, but I don't know. Uh, mine has been nowhere near like yours. You know, I... I You know, I suffered from uh, sexual abuse when I was a kid and I went into addictions as I was older and all of these things. But my my salvation has been helping other people. So is this this what drives you? Because, you you know, from from that background and you understand, is this your sort of antidote?
1: So I would say, and I've experienced a lot of trauma which includes abuse as well um and the only way my head will accept any of it is there's a reason why i've had to go through all this pain there's absolutely no way that i'm put on this world for me to experience all of that and then for nothing to happen like there's got that's how my brain's accepted it is actually you've gone through all this pain you now need to figure out how to turn it into a purpose. And then yep. now that's your power. So it's that formula that I work by. And it's very healing to know that you're impacting the lives of others and supporting other people. Um, yeah. ha- I mean, I've done a lot of healing on myself mm. to be able to get to that point where I can work with anyone that's gone through any kind of trauma where I'm not triggered. Um mm. So you have to have your healing in place, your mechanisms and tools in place to support you. And the support that you need is continuous. Like it's not like we're going to wake up one night and that's it. All our traumas are gone. It doesn't happen like that. It's, It's learning to sit with it, learning to heal and learning to know as hard as it is that that happened for some sort of purpose. Yeah. Like not, not many people in this world can cope with trauma and pain and if you uh, notice most people that have gone through trauma and pain they're doing something phenomenal by helping others
0: yeah so
1: that's how my brain equates it um yeah. i don't no, know i fully
0: that, that that's yeah. the same, exactly the same for me it, it yeah i mean it, it had a hold over me for so many years, you know. Like, and it, it wasn't until I was at the, at the age of forty-four when I took my last drink and my last drug. And it wasn't. It, it's actually through the recovery process that then I I finally accepted that it was something, but it didn't. It didn't uh, identify me anymore. It wasn't. That wasn't me anymore. You know. Yeah. Uh, and and to, if I'm I'm always brutally honest with myself, I'd use that as an excuse for many many years because it was oh you know I'd I'd see a therapist or a counsellor or a psychologist or get myself out of trouble because I've got myself into trouble and it would be uh, after a short period it would be oh poor thing no wonder he no wonder he drinks <laughs> no wonder he takes drugs and all that and it becomes a tool. And you end up sort of, but all the time you're letting that happen to you. You're letting you're letting that take control, and you're almost letting it happen to you again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And it's until you finally let go. And you know, I find forgiveness is is such a powerful thing. They say you know, to err is human, to forgive is divine. And I think that really means is that it's the most when you forgive what's happened to you, or you forgive someone else. You really are blessing yourself. That's yeah. that's what really happens. You're you're completely letting go at that point. When you can truly forgive, you 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 let go, and the, oh, the the power of that goes, and the power within you rises. You know,
1: completely, completely. And also forgiveness. And I've noticed, like over the years of doing all the healing work, um forgiving yourself we forget we we forget to forgive ourselves you know we forget to forgive ourselves for not speaking up when that thing was happening to us or not stopping that thing when that thing was happening to us and that is crucial actually before forgiving anyone else you need to forgive yourself because when you start putting the focus back on you and actually something magical happens and of course you forgive others but in a way forgiving others you know for some really horrible things that people do to you it is actually unforgivable that's why the word is unforgivable right but for you to have the power to forgive that person it's not just letting that situation go from your identity and attachment but it's also freeing yourself you're out of that prison and like you said it's it takes a hold over you and I think for me when I started realizing all of this I went the decision was really really clear for me I thought am I going to let my past control me no therefore I make a completely different future and that's what I've done so I thought I can continue that way or I can stop, make a change, and just create a completely different future. And that means breaking a lot of cycles, means breaking a lot of patterns. It means breaking barriers in my culture. It means breaking so many things, but also the most important thing that you're breaking is you're breaking your old identity. And that's quite hard to do. That's a really hard thing to do. Um, But I do believe that, and I genuinely believe that people that have experienced pain or extreme pain in this world are here to heal others. You've just got that gift in you because something so wrong has happened to you. You would never want that to happen to somebody else. Therefore you turn that around in a way where you can stop anything from happening to somebody else. Um, But you also have to remember yourself. So it can be very easy to get into the cycle of giving, giving, giving. And which is important, but in that, you know, with trauma, there's there's a part of trauma where we kind of learn to give because we've we've we're missing something in ourselves. We weren't given something. We weren't given. I mean, most of the time, it's the love that we should have had. So we're always giving to seek that love. So it's really important to kind of understand and break that and go, no, I'm not giving because I want love. I'm giving wholeheartedly, unconditionally. And I'm also going to give to myself. So, yeah, no, we're going deep now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's worthwhile, isn't it? I mean, it's like, uh, because the thing is, I mean, I I forget I'm doing this stuff. And uh, to me, I'm just chatting to new people all the time. And I love people. I I find people fascinating. Um, And and especially someone like yourself who, who... What's interesting to me as well is that not only have you gone against your past, you know, you've gone against, you've, let's say you've broken those chains yeah. of your former identity and created your own new future. That, that's inspiring itself. So, but also, as you said, you've break, broken some boundaries of your own culture. Um, and that's not an easy thing to do.
1: Yeah, no, it's not. I mean, my divorce was one. <laughs> um i think there's over time it's got a lot better like the taboos in my culture have got better but they're still there at times um but i've managed to somehow detach myself from it because i'm very true to what i'm doing i've realized this is my truth this is what i'm doing and this is what i believe in um and i have full confidence in myself and respect in myself to be able to do that just to kind of give you an example i i won't forget that um when i was out in kurdistan uh i we were on mount sinjar and you know because it, it was a military op- operation it was still very it's quite dangerous so we were going into like territory where there was, I could see the bombs dropping, <laughs> literally. Yeah. It wasn't far. It was very dangerous. And on Mount Sinjai is where, you know, when the, when the Peshmergas, you know, our soldiers um, had caught the region, they kind of took over the whole mountain and it was full of men. Now we have female Peshmergas who are fighters, but when you're a female Peshmerga, they just go, right, you're one of the guys. Yeah. And then outside of that context they don't see many women going into situations like that so in that particular situation I remember sitting with the mayor because I'd I'd gone with my team and I was the only woman there um, or the only Kurdish woman that wasn't a Peshmerga and he sat down and said I have so much respect for your family for allowing you to come out here with all these men and just you know, be trapped here overnight and there's a war going on there and, you know, they must have so much faith and confidence in you. And I really respected him for saying that because I've never heard it from anyone else. And I've always thought, what is it that allows me to do that? But it's knowing my truth, like there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing and I wholeheartedly believe that and I will sit there and confront that with my family and they know it's true therefore they have nothing to say <laughs> um so I think being in that truth and when you, you're when, when you're not doing anything wrong there's not much many people can say and so I I've carried that and that's helped I'd say break those boundaries and you know even now I think that attitude has allowed me to have male friendships in my culture um you know there are male friendships with other women and guys and stuff whereas in certain regions it's quite um restricted Mm. but I've never faced those taboos I think leaving my divorce was a massive taboo but you know it wasn't it wasn't the best marriage um it was abusive and I walked away and and I walked away at a time when it was a taboo so you didn't get that support Um, but even then I was like uh, something wrong is happening here I'm not going to put up with it anymore
0: yeah and
1: so I think it's definitely just sitting in your truth and knowing that you're wholeheartedly right in what you're doing and so when you do that some people accept it and some people don't
0: and what's the wonderful thing is is that there are people in that same situation that are held or bound by that, um, you know, restriction, That then see that as an example of hope, you know, you doing that and other women doing that, It's what, like, you don't have to put up with this. There's things yeah. you don't have to put up with in this life. Um,
1: completely. I think there's a, there's a, there's a beauty in storytelling and, um, So I'm looking to create a podcast soon and I'm looking for people's aha moments. I'd love to have you on to figure out what your aha moment was. And that is, you know, what was that moment that kind of triggered all of this? And there's a beauty in stories and inspiring other people and making them realize. I think recently I spoke about um, my marriage and what happened and a few women reached out to me and said, oh, I didn't know that's happened to you. That's happened to me, but I've never been able to say. And so it's it's that power of sharing when you see somebody else has gone through it. Mm. It almost puts you at ease, not because they've gone through it, but because you're not the only one.
0: Well, when you do it, I'll be glad to because I owe you one. Oh,
1: I'd love, well, to, I'd love I've to have re- you
0: on. I've got to return the pa- the favour. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, yeah. I've, got, I've had quite a few aha moments. You know, so <laughs> well, that's
1: going to be a beautiful share, a story to share. I, I, I get so fascinated by them because I don't think you know. I think everyone has them, but some people ignore it. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's you know the ones that don't ignore it end up doing stuff with it which which is beautiful and so yeah definitely we'll have you on there for that
0: well i think as as well it's all about action because if 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 you don't take action quick enough i mean this has been my story that if you don't take action quick enough you you quickly your your mind will deceive you into thinking oh it isn't like that so it's how quickly you take action on things you know uh, so you know, faith, everything's wonderful. My favourite saying is, uh, "God can move mountains, but you're best to bring a shovel." Because, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that because it's and it is. I've got, I've got, I've got faith that everything will be better. I've got faith that uh, in in the long run will succeed. But you know, we've got to roll our sleeves up. You know, we can't yeah. just stand back, and we've got to, We can't just have ideals and that. We've we've got to be strong enough to live live those ideals as well as you are you know you've got to live live what you believe in
1: completely and I um that's action is key I think action is key and that's how the lotus flower started you know I had it, it suddenly came up as an idea I knew exactly why I wanted to do what I wanted to do and if I let my brain think over it too much I would have thought I have no money there's no way I can do this. I'm here, they're there. Like, I would have thought of a million reasons why I couldn't. But instead, I sat in this living room, put some Post-its, like papers up, yeah. planned it out roughly, and went and registered. Literally went, right, I'm registering. Because if yeah. I don't register, I'm not going to do it. So right. I registered and then went, oh, I have to do it now.
0: <laughs> yeah. we, we think so, like right, because that exactly what i've done in the past and things and it's like once i got a little bit of momentum with the with the homeless and i was uh, well i'm going to launch in leeds you know and, I, and it's I uh, i wouldn't work out i'd, I'd sort of say right well, in may we're opening in leeds and then I'd work backwards you know try, then i'd find a venue then i'd find a team leader then you know but it, it happens if you put pressure on yourself like positive pressure i think is it, yeah it's
1: a, definitely positive pressure I think recently I've been under quite a lot of pressure but I also know when to step back yeah so it's very important to know and listen to yourself and know exactly when okay it's if anything's gonna work you need to be working before it so you have to kind of step back and tend to your needs but I do work well under pressure
0: (laughs) yeah yeah I I do myself I think it um it, it spurs me on a little bit, you know, like a challenge. But, um, as you say, it's, it, it's also, and it comes back to the forgiveness part that it's realising when, right, like, some of this is, is out of my hands, you know, like, I try to, I try, I try to control a pandemic, I'm that egotistical, you know, what I'm <laughs> then I went, hang on a minute, Stuart, you, you, you know, like, you just go where you can go, and if they can't, if you can't go, like we were supposed to go to Liverpool this weekend for a launch. And, you know, we picked that right. But, you know, but I'm back at the Whitechapel Mission tomorrow. So as long as I can go somewhere and do what I love doing and help some people in the long term, we'll be fine. We'll be back out there and we'll be doing what we do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. One hundred percent. I think definitely have the faith and the hope. And that's another thing I kind of when we were on the brink of closing, I just surrendered. And yep. went, we're doing something good here. If you want us to continue, then help us out here. Yeah. I actually, I don't know who I was asking for help. Yeah. Went, dear universe, I'm sending it out there. We are doing something phenomenal. We're changing lives. Yeah. We're on the brink of cro- closing. So if you want us to kind of stay alive, yeah. you need to open some doors. And the doors opened. So
0: yeah. there's. Fun.
1: There's a magic in asking.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It is. I've done it so many times. I've so many times. And and I think that's where faith comes in, that, you know, it it doesn't matter. As you say, it doesn't matter who you're asking, but you've got to ask, you know, you've got to ask that question. uh, Because what it is, it's taking it away from you. It's taking that control away from you that you, because sometimes you haven't got the answers. They have to come from elsewhere. And they do come once you stop? talking and start listening you start to get answers
1: completely completely yeah we're definitely on the same wavelength
0: uh i've known you for years it's the first time we've we've ever spoken it's funny isn't it when you when you when you do get introduced to people like that so for the future what 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 do you really need for the future for for the lotus project
1: I think we need to continue fundraising to help us continue going. Um, I would say I need to focus on building future funding as well, because yeah. I never want to be in this position again. Yeah. And I think, as, you know, we have to stop and pat ourselves on the back and say, you know, you, you started this from nothing. You've got it to where it is. yeah. And now it's growing need to have more hands in to help. Um, So we're at that stage. I think we would love to continue our projects. You know, hopefully this global pandemic thing will go and we'll continue our projects on the grounds. Our centres will be open again. Kathy and Greg can come out. You guys can come out. You know, that's what we're all about is continuing those projects where it's most needed, because we're working with a community that's very much forgotten. Um, When it's in the headlines and when it's in the media, everyone knows about it but when it's gone you forget that there are people living in camps there are people that live in a tent there are people that live in a cabin and they've been living there for years and years and years and it could be like 10 people in a tent and what we're trying to do is make life as easy as possible while they're there by helping them build skills that they'll be able to use in the camps but even once they leave
0: yeah it, it's it's crucial um because what happens is it's a bit like us with our with our projects and with the homeless situation in in britain is it's almost like it comes out for Christmas you know everyone, <laughs> everyone does this all this uh, ter- and's I'm not knocking it I, I think it's great if one does you know at least come together at that time but yeah. it's a, it's all year round you know like it, it's when the light stops shining that's when the work needs to really be done because yeah. it's easy to get stuff done at those times um so as you say it, it's important for that work to carry on when the light isn't shining on the, on your projects
1: completely that's it's it's the most critical time I'd say yeah and, I mean we try and do our best to shine the light on it as much as we can but yeah there there needs to be support on a larger yeah. scale I'd say as well
0: well, what I'll do at the end, you know, I will put all the links on there. You, you'll Amazing, thank you. We'll put all the links on. Um, I'll, I'm fascinated by it all. Uh, I'm sure that when Greg and Kathy go out there that I can come along. Obviously, um, your guys are already getting it started, so don't want to take over, but I'm happy to help. I'm happy to support. Yeah,
1: we'll work something out.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm more than happy to support in that. And hopefully next year... We can get out there. Uh, yeah. And at some point, I'd love to meet you in person, have a cup of coffee, and you know. <laughs> definitely,
1: definitely. I know, right? Once yeah. all this is over, we can go out of our houses. I mean, I don't even know what the rules are now. I've lost track.
0: <laughs> I just, I just, yeah, I just, I just check on a daily basis, one day at a time. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Hopefully, we will meet. Thank you so much, yeah, Stuart.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate your time and um, take care and keep in touch.
1: Thank you. Thanks a lot.
0: Thanks a lot. Thanks. Just over five years ago, I did something that changed my life. What it did, more than I could have ever realised, it helped me. I have met some absolutely amazing people, some of the people that work in some of these places. Many of them are volunteers, but some of them, it is their job. This is more than a job, this is a calling.